0: Hey, everybody. Thanks again, Juan, for leading us so well in worship. Wow, it's hard to believe we've been uh, sheltering in place for several weeks now together. Yet, I miss all of you and can't wait till we're all uh, together worshiping. Uh, Meanwhile, we will worship together virtually in this way. And so this is the second part of our worship this morning. And we're looking at a topic about doubt uh, today. So I've preached on Uh, Doubting Thomas before and um, It's always helpful to to go back over this passage again Uh, How many of us have ever said Unless God answers this particular prayer in this specific way. I will not believe Or how many of us have ever thought unless God Reveals himself in this particular way or provides for me in this specific way There's no way that I could ever believe in God, or unless God provides a specific spouse for me, or unless God gives me a successful life, or a life free of pain or suffering, there's no way I could believe. Have you ever thought that way, or had that feeling? I have, and I know that you have, and I think that we all have doubt. Now we should say from the very beginning that doubt does not mean disbelief. Some of you may even be thinking, I don't even know if I'm a Christian or not because I have doubt. Yet we know that some of the deep doubts that we have can take us uh, into even a stronger faith. So this message is to encourage us to, uh, to perhaps have some doubts. If you're a person that doesn't typically have doubts, and if you're a constant doubter, perhaps you'll begin to doubt some of your doubts Well we're in us in a much larger sermon series right now called Resurrection Living and we're in the season called Easter still even though Easter uh, Sunday passed uh, several weeks ago we're still in Easter season and that is because uh, right after Easter there's a 40day period where Jesus began to make post-resurrection appearances to his disciples, to encourage them in their faith, to prove indeed that he did rise from the dead, to comfort them in their doubt and to give them assurance. And so I'm just very grateful and happy that there's a passage like there is the one today regarding those of us who doubt. And so as we read this passage in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, we're going to talk about five things to do with your doubt. So let's read our text together. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe You have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Five things to do in your doubt. very first one is name your doubts. Name them. Know your doubts. See, doubt is not the absence of faith. Again, some of you may be very discouraged just because you're going through a season or you've had several seasons in your life of just doubt or constant doubt. And you may think, wow, if I have this much doubt, I must not be a believer. And what we can begin to see from this passage is there's great liberating Encouraging power from just naming your doubts. That you can have faith and doubt at the same time. And that's because in the Bible the word faith means to trust. Faith does not mean to have all the answers about God. Faith simply means to place your trust in God. Now, who among us has not experienced insecurity, loss, and even uh, doubts on their journey of faith? We've all experienced this. Me too, says Pope Francis. So we can't just say, I don't have any doubts. Or we can't just say, I doubt the whole thing regarding Christianity. You need to name what those doubts are. It's very helpful to 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 name them, to list them, perhaps journal about them. Keep a record, perhaps, of what they are. C.S. Lewis writes, I think the trouble with me is lack of faith. Often when I pray, I wonder if I am not posting letters to a non-existent address. Have you ever felt that before? Is God even listening to me? I doubt that even if I pray, God can even hear me amidst all the other prayers. Or amidst all the other perhaps more important things that God has to do or is giving his attention to. Someone told me recently, hey, you know, you're lucky as a pastor that you don't really have any doubts. And I thought, wow, this you don't understand. I, I have doubts too. I have doubts just like you. Verse 24 here, the context again is just after Easter. Jesus has just risen from the dead and he's making these post-resurrection appearances. But here in the context, the apostles were gathered together, sitting in a a locked room, and there's rumors. The story is going around that that Jesus, their Savior, has risen. But can it be true? Well, they're all sitting there. uh, And I want you to imagine that me and you are sitting there, and imagine that our best friend, our best friend Jesus, who's been arrested, who's been beaten, who's been mocked, who's been crucified, he's been murdered. J- just imagine that, that the disciples had gone through a very traumatic experience. Doubt was definitely something that was that was on their mind. And news that he might be walking around. Could it be? could it be true was it really him and john the gospel writer indeed goes on to write that 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 jesus christ we saw him crucified we saw him resurrected we touched him we spoke with him yet look at thomas's absolute conditions that we just read about his non-negotiable terms for believing and it's licensed For you, it's license for me that whenever we think about our belief in God that you should be able to name your doubts. Verse 25, he says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is like learning to pray honestly with God. Learning to be truly honest and tell God exactly what it is that you might be truly doubting. We may say things like, God, I'll trust you if you can promise me that my life will go well. God, I'll I'll trust you if I can marry that person. Or God, I'll follow you if you can give me assurance that all of my prayers will be answered. We have permission to doubt. And we can bring God our frustrations. We can bring God our, our our, our doubt, uh, Jesus can handle it. God can handle our doubts. That's what's so encouraging from this, from this text. Think back in the Bible here um, at two characters in particular I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name, Abraham and Sarah, who ended up believing God, trusting in God's story, finding themselves in that story. But when God came to them and promised that they indeed would have a child in their old age, not only did they doubt God, but they laughed at God. They thought, how in the world can this happen? We know what it takes to get pregnant. We know how that works. There's no way possible. They laughed. Or you think about the book of Job, and wow, that that profound story of how the book of Job unfolds. This ancient book teaches you basically that you can say anything to God. You can bring your your doubts, your frustrations, your grief, your despair, and that God can absorb it. God can handle it. See, doubting doesn't mean that you don't believe. The second thing we want to do in our doubt is we want to learn to live with mystery, I know this sounds so crazy. We hate mystery, don't we? We want to know the answers. We want to know the future. Well, the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said, I do not believe there ever existed a Christian yet who did not now and then doubt his interest in Jesus. I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite the time for us to doubt him. It's quite the time to doubt someone who says that they never doubt, or someone that thinks they have all the answers. We need to learn to to embrace mystery when it comes to our doubt, and when it comes to not having all the answers. See, we can actually commit to God. We can believe in God without having all of the answers. Think about all the things that you already committed to, or all the things that you believe in right now that you don't have all the answers to. I'm thinking of the, perhaps the Golden Gate Bridge that those of us in San Francisco drive over. Now, as we're preparing in the approach to drive over the Golden Gate Bridge, no one stops you there asking you to recite all the uh, building and construction Rules and regulations uh, that that went into building that bridge. No one asks you if you even understand the marvel of that bridge before you cross over it. No. You don't have to have all the answers. There can be mystery in our belief with God and should be. And And that just reminds me and should encourage you that you can have great intellect and doubt at the same time as it relates to your relationship with god the bible teaches us repetitively that while we can know god and while god has made himself known to us and he's knowable that there are secret things known only to god one of those secret things is perhaps how faith even works and how our belief in God even works, even while we have doubts. Eugene Peterson, scholar and pastor, says belief in God does not exempt us from feelings of abandonment by God. Praising God does not inoculate us from doubts about God. See, he's normalizing it that sometimes when we pray, we may be wondering, as the psalmist Praise and wonders, God, where are you? Even the mystery of Jesus, you'll remember being on the cross and crying out to God in prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The third thing to do in our doubt is to give mercy to those who doubt. Yes, give mercy to those who doubt. Certain places discriminate against doubt. You know some of those places that discriminate against doubt. Maybe you grew up in a family that discriminates against doubt. It tells you that you need to get your act together and know all the answers. Or perhaps a church that you've ever attended that discriminates against any type of doubts or questions. Or some of the schools or academic institutions that you've ever attended or perhaps taught at that, that that teach us, you should have no doubts. You should always display certainty. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer writes, surely we cannot imagine any certainty that is not tinged with doubt or any assurance that is not assailed by some anxiety. I so appreciate I so appreciate the mercy that he gives there and the understanding that he gives there for doubt. Now back to our story here in verse 25. You notice that the disciples did not say to Thomas whenever they finally met back up with Thomas, hey, guess what? We saw Jesus and you know what? Sucks for you. <laughs> we saw Jesus. He, he indeed rose from the dead. He, he proved it to us by physically being alive and present with us. We talked with him. He answered all of our questions, but you know what? It sucks for you that you weren't there. That's not what the disciples do or say. They gave Thomas breathing room. They gave Thomas mercy in the midst of Thomas's doubt. They gave Thomas space to say something like, unless I get to place my finger there in those wounds of Jesus with my own finger, I will not believe. They gave Thomas that space. That's what it looks like to give people mercy and to give yourself mercy in the midst of doubt. Jesus gives mercy to those who doubt. Look in verse 26. It says, and I hope you're reading this with me. I hope as we're going through this passage together, you're looking at this Look at this story. Verse 26, it says, A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. Jesus comes back to visit Thomas. (laughs) He comes to visit us. He comes to visit you right in the midst of your doubt. Again and again and again and again. And doesn't grow weary of you. A week later, when the disciples were in the house again, this time Thomas was with them. Verse 26, it says, Jesus appeared to his disciples, and he walks right through the locked door. What a mystery. (laughs) And he says to them, Peace be with you. Jesus referring to himself, the embodiment of peace. Peace be with you. I am the fulfillment of peace and I am with you. That's the only thing that can assure you in your doubts. is I myself, the resurrected Jesus. Graciously, Jesus meets these characters in their grief, in their despair, in their doubt. He comes right to them and he says, I understand your doubt. I understand the doubt of this world. I understand and, and even your doubts can't stop my love from you. Even your doubts won't separate me from you." Notice the patience and grace of Jesus, that Jesus does verbatim what Thomas requests. Thomas must have been thinking, Wow, Jesus, Jesus Jesus is going to see me at my worst when I'm doubting in this way. Jesus meets Thomas in his condition and allows Thomas to see him and invites Thomas to touch him. What grace, what mercy towards doubt. Later on in the New Testament, the book appearing right before the last book of the Bible, it's called Jude. And Jude, verse 22, says, Have mercy on those who doubt. All of you should have mercy towards others who are doubt. See, and that's because some people are doubters for a lifetime. They struggle with doubt again and again, and and might perhaps for their entire lives. But learn from Jesus to have mercy on doubters. And that Jesus is a safe person and a safe place who will minister to you and who ministers to countless people in their doubt. fourth thing to do in our doubt is to keep the main thing the main thing. When Thomas had heard that the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus, Thomas may have actually gone deeper in his doubt. But Jesus is gonna help Thomas keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, think about that for just a moment. When the disciples told Thomas that they had actually seen the Lord, Thomas may have thought, Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I blew it. I missed it. I just wasn't there. And somehow I missed Jesus, and that was my last chance. Jesus reminds Thomas of the main thing. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, Then Jesus said to Thomas. So Jesus makes again uh, the following week. Jesus appears again to those same disciples. Thomas is there. And Jesus calls him by name. He says to Thomas. I mean, imagine that for just a moment. What would you have been thinking? If Jesus, not only uh, the resurrected Jesus is there in our midst, but he calls you by name. He talks to you. He singles you out. Now, perhaps Thomas is thinking in Thomas' own doubt that that maybe Jesus is going to shame me. Maybe uh, Jesus is going to say, um, hey, you know, get it together. Quit doubting like that. But rather, verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus helps Thomas keep the main thing the main thing and that is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And that's to encourage me and you in our doubts. We can have doubts about all sorts of things regarding God, God's existence. How can God allow suffering? How can God be good and powerful yet allow suffering? Why would God send good people to hell? All sorts of questions of doubt that we might have. but Jesus keeps the main thing the main thing for Thomas, and it's about the resurrection. He wanted Thomas to not only see, but invites him to touch his side, to know that he's risen just as he promised. Paul, another writer in the New Testament, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, unless Christ has risen from the dead, we are all hopeless. And that's because to the Apostle Paul, the main thing was the main thing, and that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, for a Christian, they have, oh, so many doubts. Yes, they do. But there's belief, belief in the resurrection and questions, continual questions. What else do we do In our doubt. The fifth thing here is to doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts. When Jesus invites Thomas to put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, and put it into my side, Jesus is inviting Thomas to begin to doubt his doubts. Thomas must have been thinking, how in the world is this possible? I mean, I know Jesus said he was going to rise from the dead, but oh my God, here here he is in front of us and he's not a ghost, he's he's a physical person. I mean, certainly Jesus is wanting Thomas and you and me and others who are skeptics and doubters to begin to doubt our doubts. See, Jesus could have just left a nice little note in the empty tomb saying, "I've, I've risen. I'm the resurrected Lord. Believe me. Instead of writing a note, Jesus Jesus gives great attention and detail to go and visit these disciples, to begin to build their faith and give them assurance and help them doubt some of their doubts. See, a lot of us are putting a lot of beliefs in our doubts. There's a lot of assumptions that we have in some of the things that we call doubts, You should take a look at Caravaggio's painting called Doubting Thomas if you haven't seen this before. The Italian painter painted this piece uh, around 1600 and it's called Doubting Thomas. And as you look at Caravaggio's Doubting Thomas, please notice how all the disciples, there in that painting. All the disciples are bending their necks. They're looking in on Thomas to see Thomas, see the scars of Jesus. Notice Jesus holding the hand of Thomas in that painting. Yes, Caravaggio has Jesus holding Thomas' hand, leading Thomas' hand towards his wounds in his hand and in his side. Oh, so gentle. Jesus shows Thomas his wounds and his scars to help Thomas doubt his doubts. Now why does Jesus still have scars? Why are those scars and those wounds still there? Jesus is resurrected, isn't he? He rose from the dead, but why in the world are the scars still there? Don't you find that quite curious? It might even be reason for more doubt. But Jesus wants us to doubt some of those doubts. And I think those scars are there to show us that to be a Christian To be a believer in God doesn't mean that you'll just snap your fingers or that God just snaps his fingers and all of your scars goes away. God wants us to know that he suffered, that Jesus suffered, that Jesus has scars. Jesus understands pain and suffering. And that to become a Christian doesn't mean that God's fingers are snapped and all of your pain is, is, is done away with. No, but that Jesus understands your scars and your pain and walks with you through them. And somehow all of those wounds and all of those scars will be made beautiful in the end when Jesus returns to restore all things. That those wounds and those pains and those scars that you've felt all along the way, Jesus is here to assure us they won't kill you. Oh, they hurt. Oh, they're painful, but they won't kill you. See, resurrection, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection is divine medicine for where you and I hurt most. The resurrection is divine clarity and assurance where we doubt the most. the sixth and final thing, did I say we had five things? Uh, to do in our doubt. I'm sorry, there are actually six. <laughs> uh, six. And the last one here, number six, is see your doubt as a portal into deeper belief. Yes, begin to learn to see your doubt as an opportunity. It's a doorway that whenever doubt enters your mind or your heart regarding regarding belief in God or or in Jesus, begin to see that as some sort of portal Whereby God is going to take my doubt into a deeper faith. Notice that uh, Jesus is doing this for Thomas and the other disciples, too. Notice this that, that Thomas's doubt is not done alone. Thomas doesn't hide it and go through his doubt alone, he does it in community, he does it in the presence of all the other disciples. And even us, modern day readers of this story. So that we see that Thomas's doubt is a portal for us to go deeper in our faith. Don't you find it quite interesting in this story? I mean, think about this. Notice that Thomas never actually touches Jesus' hands or his side. I mean, I know in Caravaggio's painting, we have Jesus holding his hand, leading him to Jesus' side. But in the text here recorded by John, yes, Jesus returns. Yes, Jesus invites Thomas per Thomas's request. And I mean verbatim, Jesus says to Thomas, touch me just as Thomas said, unless I get an opportunity to see those wounds, I will not believe. I find it quite curious that Thomas never actually even touches Jesus. Thomas drops all of his conditions when he sees Jesus and when Jesus simply gives him the invitation. That was enough. That doubt was a portal into deeper belief for Thomas. Seeing the risen Jesus, hearing the invitation of Jesus personally to Thomas allows Thomas to drop all of his conditions And so in verse 28, we almost get this climax here of our character, Thomas, where he says, my Lord and my God. Thomas addresses Jesus as the same Lord and God of the Old Testament, the Yahweh, the only God who had a plan for his people to redeem them, who had not forgotten them amidst all of their doubts, that he would enter into their story as a real human being through the person of Jesus and live a life that they couldn't live and die an atoning sacrifice for their sins and rise victoriously. Thomas addresses him, my Lord and my God, how sweet that must have sounded as he said it. I'm reflecting on Psalm 23 and I draw your attention to this Psalm where the psalmist David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or you may be thinking, even though I walk through the valley that's full of shadows of doubt, or the shadow of despair, he says, I will not fear. The psalmist says, I will not fear that even though there's that doubt or darkness or despair, Or even though there's the shadow of death, I will not fear because God, you are with me. You are with me. See your doubt as a portal into deeper, stronger belief. Verse 29, Jesus said, Blessed are those. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, see, he's talking to his disciples in that very room there, that locked room where he was. They all saw it. Jesus even returns, you know, as the story just told us here, that he, he returns the week afterwards so that Thomas could be there and actually see it. But then he tells all of them as if he could see you and he could see me through the corridors of time into the future. Jesus, almost thinking of you and me at, this, at that time, saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet will believe. Wow. You are blessed. You are blessed beyond what's imaginable. Our doubts are a portal into deeper belief. Verse 31. These things were written so that we might believe. All of this has been recorded here for us. I invite you to go back and read this gospel, the gospel of John. I invite you to go back and read other parts of scripture. I invite you to go back and read other books where you can look at others who are Christians, who have doubted. People like C.S. Lewis or Francis Schaeffer. Others who are who are really honest about their doubts and who experience the mercy of, of God that Jesus met them in their doubt. Why don't we pray right now? Why don't we pray that God would, in our doubt, God would assure us that just because we're doubting, it doesn't mean that we disbelieve. Why don't we pray together that God would, would indeed encourage us, build our faith, and use doubt as a portal to deepen our faith. Let's pray together. Father God, help each of us feel the welcome of Jesus in our doubts. Help us experience the Lord Jesus coming to us in our doubts, not shaming us in our doubts. Thank you for that mercy. Help us give mercy to ourselves and give mercy to others in their doubts. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience in our doubts. And help each of us be honest with you about our doubts. Help us believe and trust you and call you Lord. Help us call you King and Savior. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your compassion to us. We pray all of this in your most wonderful name. Amen.